Welcome to the Sunday Times Politics Weekly, where we explore the big political issues of the moment. I'm Mike Siluma, and thanks for joining us. The death this past week of Inkata Freedom Party founder and Prime Minister to the Zulu King has unleashed a storm of controversy as many try to interpret the legacy of one of the most influential political leaders of recent times. To further delve into the meaning of Butelezi and his role in our politics, we joined on the, on the Politics Weekly by Dr. Bongani Ngulunga, who's an academic author and also director of the Johannesburg Institute for Advanced Study at the University of Johannesburg, as well as Meriti Haas, who's an academic researcher and violence monitor of long standing. You asked Mr. Ramaphosa to sit down first. I'm standing. I need to put on my big girl panties and keep going. You can't have two speakers standing at the same time. Security services of the Republic of South Africa, you may intervene. There's been several attempts on my life. Lower that hand. The president is accused of that serious crimes. In order to pursue the greater good, you have to enable some people to eat a little bit. Corrupt people do not eat alone. They have a spider web. I now suspend the proceedings. I now suspend the proceedings. I have warned you. Hey, welcome to the both of you. Uh, okay. the, the, let, let, let us start with uh, with you, Mary, the, because part of the controversy, in fact, the, the, the heart of the controversy has been about not so much about the politics of Butelezi, but the violence that happened around the transition around 1990, in the 90s, basically, uh, leading into 1994. Now, let's talk about that violence. He has been cast as the source, you know, the alpha and omega of the violence. Is that a correct interpretation of how the violence played out? Yeah. Look, let me explain what happened. It started after seventy after 1976. Um, there were sporadic incidents against uh, students when students protested, but Violence really started in earnest in this province uh, in the 1980s, early 80s. And um, it was, I think people don't realize, uh, because a lot of people don't, uh, you know, the geography of, of this province, which is now KwaZulu-Natal, the KwaZulu homeland was a patchwork of disparate uh, pieces of land which, like all the other homelands, had been 19th century reserve land. Some of it had never even been part of the Zulu Kingdom. Okay, so, um, and of course, uh, it was interspersed with white land, and there was still white land, example around Durban, that the apartheid government wanted to incorporate into to, uh, You know, just south of Durban, you have a small township called Lamontville, which is next to a huge Umlazi, which was part of KwaZulu, Lamontville was still part of South Africa. And Lamontville was one of a few areas. And there was a lot of protest about not being incorporated into KwaZulu, which was understandable because uh, you lost your rights to be a South African. And that protest was then stamped on by, uh, by KwaZulu and Inkata because the two were synonymous at this stage, you know. Uh, the, the the late Portuguese was a leader of both. 
because it was seen as an attack on Carter, it was seen as an attack on, on KwaZulu. And, um, but it was really just people wanting to stay in South Africa. And it, it coincided with the formation of the UDF. So you had a few of these places where the violence started very early, Lamontville, Chesterville, other places which were due for incorporation. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. Spread to the other townships, uh, particularly um, in areas where there were hostels, because the hostels were a basis for uh, for migrants to be used to attack the youth. And, uh, and, uh, and also, um, the vigilantes, because vigilantism emerged, and these were basically criminals used by the apartheid state uh, to uh, to fight for income. So that's how it all started in the eighties, and I started. Um, I was, I mean, I got into this not to research it specifically, but because I'm an anthropologist, and uh, I was doing as anthropologists do, qualitative research, sitting. Um, you know, being in townships, interacting with people, doing a variety of research. So people came to me and asked for help, and that's how it all started. And I started working with another colleague, Paul, Professor Paul Zulu. We started academic projects recording it in the mid-'80s. So, And it just took off. And, of course, in 1990, uh, when the ANC was unbanned, it became, it just spread to Kharteng from this province, and it got much, much, much worse in this province. It spread to areas up until 90, 1990. Most of the areas were urban areas, but Peter Maritzburg was particularly hardly hit because there were very few. It was Peter Maritzburg was largely an ANC area or UDF area, and that was very, very badly hit in the latter 80s. But it spread everywhere in the province after 90 and spread to Khartoum course. But I think you just must realize one thing, this was not black on black violence. It was orchestrated by the apartheid state uh, to, it was part of their total strategy. It was basically the total strategy apartheid state versus the liberation forces. Mm-hmm. So, so, so the question I was asking you is, in the in the last week, you know, as people were debating Butelezi's legacy, the, the the issue he he was cast as the 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 this colossus who was like spreading singularly spreading violence everywhere. It, so what I'm asking is is that a, a a correct depiction of what happened? You know, you know, at, at the time, you know, how the violence actually uh, played out. Look. There's what you you can look at the TRC reports and the records there were findings against Butelezi. I mean, you see, nobody is saying he went out and ordered people to do it. We don't know if he did, although there is some evidence given that guns were supplied and he knew about it. He may have known about it. He must have known it was happening. But the problem is he was the leader of KwaZulu. He was the leader of Inkata. He was the minister of KwaZulu Peace. Now, the KwaZulu Peace were a murderous bunch. They were, the people around Butelezi were either, I mean, in the early, uh, in some of the early employees after KwaZulu started its existence were members of BOSS, the old security. They were planted there. His key advisor was a military man, and a number of them were, Walter Felgate in particular. The um, KwaZulu Peace were, were formed in the 1987. They weren't even most. They were formed 
And this came out in a court case. They were specifically trained to be soldiers for Inkata and Kwazulu. And they were headed by a notorious security policeman. And Bolesi was the minister of the KwaZulu police, as well as the leader of the KwaZulu homeland. So in his position as leader of Inkata, because they were openly Inkata operatives, it's not to say there wasn't violence. I think, the you see, I was trying to tell people this in the 80s, and nobody believed me because the media wasn't publishing stuff, that it was basically, it wasn't that that it was only in Carter that was violent. A lot of the, there were a lot of Comtotsis around, for example, because the police were detaining, turning people, turning them into Ascaris, turning them into agents. And, um, but I mean, most of the violence was driven from the state through in the apartheid state with its army. They did escort the vigilantes in with its police, but in the KwaZulu areas, it was the KwaZulu. So, you know, the Budlesi can't avoid responsibility for it because, you know, he must have known about it. I mean, everybody knew about it. I mean, you know, the um, a couple of the papers would publish stuff. Our Sunday paper in Durban was one of the few local papers. The Witness published stuff. So he knew about it and he did absolutely nothing about it but deny it. So in that sense, he was culpable by omission and not, not stopping it. Mm, okay. Hey, let, let's bring in uh, Dr. Ngulunga here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that uh, Mary says that he ought he, he would have known uh, about the violence. Uh, so so therefore he is culpable because he did not, at the very least, condemn it. You know, um, mm-hmm. openly. So you you have studied him. You you and yeah. un- you uh, <coughs> said you understood what what he was thinking. But you yeah. you you probably have spent more time than most people studying yeah. his politics yeah. and yeah. And, yeah. and his career, etc. What was he a violent man as such? I think Would you characterize yeah. him as such? Yeah, I think we not not necessarily. I think we need perhaps I should start where Mary starts in the nineteen seventies because I think. Without understanding what was going on in the 1970s, it is difficult to understand what happened in the 1980s. Uh, Remember that by the end of the 1970s, Inkata was probably the largest political movement that we had had in the history of South Africa until then. I mean, of course, I mean, there is the UTF that comes in in the 1980s. And I think, by the way, that lies at the heart of the conflict or the disagreement that he had with the ANC leading up to 1979. Because even though at the formation of Inkata in 1975, the ANC had sanctioned it. I mean, I think it is common cause mm-hmm. that both his participation in in the homeland system the idea of the formation of Inkata and I mean it's quite interesting other people who have written about this I mean that it seems who says let us not be openly political it's better to come with this thing as a cultural movement Mm. and he suggests the name of Inkata but the idea itself of forming the party does not come from Butelese necessarily it comes from the, the, the ANC in fact I think Mark Hefisa who's a former president in Begis biographers. He mentions even a meeting that took place in London in 1972 where the idea was discussed of forming an internal front for the liberation movement. 
But what actually happens then, it grows and grows. Remember, he's using the ANC colors. Yeah. Mm. And increasingly, a lot of people actually see him as the representative of the liberation movement inside. And he has this huge support towards the end of the 1970s. And he mm. starts asserting independence. It's like, I'm inside the country and I know what is going on. Mm. What can a leadership which is based in London or Lusaka tell me about what is going on in South Africa? So I think it is one point that we should really keep in mind. And then when the challenge starts, I mean, in the early 1980s, we have 1976, uh, which really opens up, I mean, basically political activity in South Africa. And then we have COSAS that is established in 1979. And all of these uh, political organizations, civic organizations at first, that start. And what they do they start challenging his political authority and legitimacy. Mm. I think that is where the problem starts. Because Putelezi had a strategy. He's a moderate. He's a political moderate by nature. So he wanted a process that he could control. I mean, if you remember, there's something that was called the Putelezi Commission, which he starts, I mean, in 1980, where he's trying to think about reform. I mean, so how do we bring, but he wants a very controlled process. I think what really did happen is that um, when things opened up and the state couldn't control it, and Putelezi couldn't control the townships, that is what led to, to violence. Um, I mean, there is no doubt that it was the middle of the 1980s and late 1980s that the Inkata is getting support mm. from the state. I mean, it mm. is there in the TRC. I mean, that the state was supplying certain sections of Inkata with weapons. And I think Principal Teles himself, I mean, has been quite open that he did ask for support, I mean, from, from, from the mm. state. But I, I think it will be a mistake as it has been done now. I mean, to say literally everyone who died in the 1980s and early 1990s was mm. because of Teles. I mean, there's a documentary that was recently flighted by ENCA, actually, where he addresses the issue itself. Mm. It's, well, I mean, if you read between the lines, he says things got out of control. There was retaliation mm. after retaliation and retaliation after retaliation. I think we have to understand the context here. I mean, that that decade of the 1980s was the darkest moment mm. in the history of South Africa. I mean, I do not think that there is one single individual who can be blamed for that. I mean, as Mary says, I mean, the state was involved. I mean, the Kwazulu police was involved. But remember that people started arming themselves. There were self-protection mm. units, self-defense mm. units, mm. all of these groupings heavily armed. Tell me if somebody was in a train from Naledi, mm. Soweto, to town in Johannesburg, and then there are people who just fire. I mean, how do you know these are members of Inkata, these mm. are members of the ANC, or these are people who are just not aligned? Mm. I think things just got crazy in the 1980s. Mm. We are heavily armed society, and I think literally everyone lost control. Butelezi lost control. The state definitely lost control. Mm. But I will also say that the leadership of the mass democratic movement mm. also also lost uh, mm. control. Mm. Yeah. But but le le let's go back to the politics yeah. you know, of, 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 of the men. Yeah. You know. the, the, 
at 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 what point does he because if, you know just looking at him sometimes I, I i used to get a bit confused and i think you have tried to explain yeah, yeah. The, the 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 paradox yeah. you know that that at one point he i know that he used to come to the reef and he would have these big meetings Meetings, at Dublin Amphitheater. Amphitheater. And even people who were non-Zulu would go to to the thing to listen to him, right? Um, So, and yet, which would suggest that he saw himself as a A national figure. A national figure. figure. Everyone was, you know, he was not just a Zulu kind of thing. Uh, Somebody was talking about the the curriculum in Guazulu, which, which, you know, which which had a Sutu and yeah, Ubuntu, 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 yes, yes. That those would have been deliberate uh, yeah. uh, creations or, or constructs, you know, yeah. on on his part to to project himself in a in a particular way. But at the same time, he seemed to have a vested interest in promoting a Zulu, Zulu, a Zulu yeah. nationalism, if yeah, you like, that's true. or a Zulu identity, or Zulu kingdom, the preservation of the Zulu kingdom. Yeah. Well, how do the two sit together? Look, I mean, Teres is a very fascinating individual. Actually, I'll tell you a little anecdote. I mean, there are a lot of photographs that have been shown about him since he died. One of them is wearing a beret. That has photos of three people. I remember during mm-hmm. the local government elections, spending a lot of time trying to figure out <laughs> who were in these things. And let me tell you the names of those people to show yeah. the complexity of the man. There is one of Lutuli. Mm-hmm. The other one is Pixlga Isagasame. Mm-hmm. And the third is Kenneth Kaunda. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just when you cook, you'll see he has a blackberry with uh, these buttons, I mean, of these yeah. people. It's a fascinating figure, I mean, because um, Butelezi was an African nationalist, I mean, in a serious way. And he really believed in the unity, especially the unity of Africans, of, of Black Africans. Mm-hmm. Uh, Butelezi also had strong, what you will call, pan-African connections. I mean, in a sense, mm-hmm. the Kenneth Kaunda in the parade yeah. represents that strand of politics. But Utelezi also was a, a Zulu nationalist. I mean, he was haunted by 1879. And I don't think people have come to terms. What, what is 1879? Basically, some, what, some of us who are yeah, younger. Yeah, who are younger. Don't know what I mean, because what really happens is, uh, I mean, the Zulus, as you know, there is Anglo-Zulu war. And the Zulus win on the 22nd of January at Isandran. But the, the Brits go, they regroup, I mean, they come back, mm-hmm. and they defeat the Zulus on the 4th of July. I used to tell my American friends that they celebrate on the 4th of yeah, July. While we mourn while we mourn this side. I mean, for a lot of African nationalists, especially those who came from Wazulu Natal, that defeat on the 4th was the darkest day mm-hmm. in the history of black people in South Africa. And Butelezi... I think because <clears throat> of his own family background, even though that event took place 49 years before he was born, it was always a major issue for him. He wanted to see the resurrection of the Zulu kingdom that was destroyed on the 4th of July. Just to get directly to your point, Mike, because I think it is an important point. He has always struggled these two kinds of politics. Mm. The, the broader African nationalist politics. And, and I think for a long time, he saw himself as an African nationalist leader in the mold of Lutuli, mm. his hero in the mold of Pixlga Isagaseme, mm. in the mold of Oliver Tambo, of 
of Dube. But also, there was also this Zulu nationalist politics, I mean, that I think he also inherited from some of those people, but also looked up. He, I mean, he says something actually in his speeches that when his mother will tell him stories about Zulu history, he will imagine himself fighting and the mm. war in San Juan and and, uh, and killing those Brits and everything else. So there's always been a competition for attention, these two strands of politics in him. And I think what happened, especially in the 1980s, the more he was challenged, mm. he was he relied more and more and more on this narrow political mm. base, mm. I mean, of, of Zulu nationalist yeah. politics, basically. But, but here, here's mm. the, other, the other, you know... If, um, his his uh, role as a, as a, as chief minister as he was called yeah. of of Wazulu. Yeah. at the same time as he's pursuing this national political yeah. liberatory uh, uh, figure uh, you 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 alluded elsewhere yeah. that he 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 much as he was caught between the two roles uh, he could have he could have made a choice to, yeah. to, to, to to get to, rid to, of the contradiction. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, like 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 I think Lutuli was given an ultimatum to say, yeah. look, you either tore the line by by, by the apartheid state yeah. or we go you're gonna lose your you, you can't have it both. You can't be a national liberation, African nationalist yeah, and, and still and, uh, want uh, to hold yeah. on to your chieftaincy. Yeah. Yeah. And he made a choice. You know, he chose yeah. the liberation movement. What was going on here with Butcher? What was so yeah. difficult for him? To make the choice, because it looks like that is what muddied the waters yeah. as you know time unfolded. I think it was a lot more difficult for him. I'm a little sympathetic. Um, I think uh, the, the difference for Lutuli, let us remember, it was an elected position. It was not a hereditary position mm. in the case of Lutuli. Mm. He had been elected by the Amakolwa community of Groudville to become a chief. Now think about Tiptelis, because I think there are two fundamental things about him and the Zulu politics. Butelezi is not a normal guy. I mean, if, if your great-grandfather was Mnyama Nagangangelele, possibly one of the most celebrated Zulu generals, right? The traditional prime minister, Tuking Kachwayo, mm. who led the Zulu army and defeated the, the Brits, at San Juan, mm. if you count that person as your as your great grandfather, and your father was a traditional prime minister, so 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 there was that to him. And on your maternal side, you can trace your lineage all the way to the beginning. Mm. I just think, I think that appeal he couldn't resist it. I mean, the other interesting person, by the way, about people having making choices is Governor Mbeki because he too face the dilemma that Tibutelezi faced, where mm. after a relative who was a chief died and governor was called, I mean, to take this thing, he said, I'm not going to take it. Basically, I've outgrown mm. that. I just think it was too appealing for Butelezi to, to resist it. And what had haunted him, that defeat in, 19, in 1879, he thought he couldn't resuscitate the Zulu kingdom if he was outside of of it mm. and and i think for for him it created a lot of problems and all sorts of contradictions mm. how how would you characterize because that's probably the the thing that calls a lot of people 
how would you you characterize his relationship with the apartheid state? What, would would what, because it looks like at, at some people would say that he's a puppet, you know, he's no, a bantu stand leader, yeah. and another person will say no, actually he's a collaborator, it, it, he's an yeah. active collaborator, yeah. and other people have said the apartheid state was actually suspicious of him. At it some was a point. complex, it was a complex relationship. I mean, I think sometimes we oversimplify things. It was a complex relationship. I mean, for the the apartheid state was suspicious of Butelezi from the beginning. I mean, in the 1950s, when his father died, they didn't want to give him the chieftaincy of the Butelezi because they were not sure that he would be loyal Mm. to the apartheid state. I mean, and they kept him hanging for a very long time and in fact insisted that he had to work for the Native Affairs Department basically to prove his bona fides, I mean, to the upright state state. But I mean, even in the even in the 1970s, they preferred Zulitini, mm-hmm. actually, and, and basically said to Zulitini, become an executive of this thing. I mean, look at your, look at the Swazi, go look at Sopos. I mean, basically, if you take this thing, you could be like yeah. Sopos mm-hmm. and become an and absolute li- monarch. And live a peaceful life. And, and, by the way, and sponsored a lot of political parties that were formed there to displace Butelis. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even though he participated in the system and collaborated in some ways inside the system, but I think it was a very difficult relationship, uh, difficult until the end. Mm. I mean, if you saw the fights that he had with the clerk, I mean, you are betraying me mm. and now we are mm. with the ANC yeah. and mm. all of mm. that. It was always a difficult relationship. Some cooperative at times where both parties thought it was in their mutual interest to cooperate, but also defined by conflict. I think it is this complexity that those people who just summarily dismiss him as a a sellout, a collaborator, Mm -hmm. they do not want to appreciate how complicated the relationship is. I think compounded by his refusal to take the full independence, as it was Mm -hmm. called, Mm -hmm. of the Zulubantu stand. And I think he didn't take it because he did have national political ambitions. Mm -hmm. There is no doubt about it. Yeah, but let let me ask you this before we go go back to Mary. If you if you take out the violence, the use of violence, particularly in the run up to to the transition, you know where people were being killed on the trains, where there was yeah. mass killings, you know, yeah. across the board in KZN, on the East Rand, and and, yeah. and everywhere else. If you take out that that, in other words, Inkat has in has ability to de- to deploy or participate or collaborate with the state yeah. Yeah. in unleashing violence. Um, Without that violence, do you think he would have been such an important player at Kodesa? Putelezi had immense political talent. I mean, I don't think it is an accident that of all the Bantu stand leaders, actually, he was the only man who remained standing mm. and who had the profile that that he had, just his ability to mobilize people. I mean, as I have said, that by the end of the 1970s, Inkata was probably the largest political movement mm. that we had had in the history of yeah. South Africa by then. Mm. Of course, it got overtaken by what happened in the early 1980s. I, I think that he would have been a major political figure. I mean... I can even imagine him playing even a much bigger role than he did. I mean, let's not forget that Butelezi 
was offered to the deputy presidents of the Republic mm. of South Africa mm. and I don't think the the former president who offered him that position did so out of uh, just doing him a favor yeah i think the the more he got closer to to him he saw the the talent that was there mm. one thing which is positive that putelezi took from the zulu royal house or perhaps being brought up and socialized there mm. is just the courtesy mm. that he has i mean the the respect but also the other side an explosive temper i mean yeah if, remember uh, he went into the studios at the sabc yes, at the, at the know, SABC, i mean sharp political yeah. arms mm. without which by the way i don't think that inkata will have survived as long as it has yeah. so it's really a, we have used complexity quite a yeah, lot yeah, yeah. over the past uh, but, 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 but there's a view here sorry to interrupt you yeah. there's a view here that part of the reason why the anc and 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 its alliance at at uh, you know at the point of negotiations were keen to 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 end the violence you know to 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 find a settlement was yeah. to end the violence in other words the violence was almost like a a a, a uh, something that was giving impetus to the need to find a peaceful yeah, solution and the, the settlement yeah. so i'm saying if butelezi had did not have that leverage or him and the state the apartheid state had not had that leverage would the negotiations have panned out the way the they, way they did? did well i in, mean in, say, including yeah, how wazulu yeah. natal was treated yeah, and the issue of yeah. amakosi yeah, and the zulu yeah, kingdom and yeah. all of that no that is i think there is, there is an element of truth to that i mean the concessions that were made i mean especially on the issue of the status of the zulu mm. king i think there were there were huge concessions i mean you could even say the federal arrangement that we have mm. is largely because of butelezi and the power the mm. political power and the threat yeah. that mm. he wielded i mean leading up to to the uh, to the elections but there is also another way to think about it actually mm-hmm. I mean, last thing for a second. I mean, if Putelezi had not faced the political challenge he faced starting from the early 1980s, what do you think could have happened? Because one thing that is for sure is that Inkata was growing quite exponentially mm. leading up to um, the end of the decade of the 1970s. Mm. What what really prevents Inkata from growing further? I mean, not just only growing in natal kwazulu then mm. but also growing here yeah. in mm. in in Gauteng mm. i mean in the transvaal way mm. where we are i i do think actually that butelezi had his political influence and power not been checked by the early 1980s i think he would have become even a larger Mm. political yeah. personality yeah. than he he became yeah. and i think it was a source of his frustration mm. because mm. he i wouldn't be surprised if he thought he would become the first black president mm. and i don't think it was a fanciful idea given mm. what he had just achieved from 1975 yeah. when inkata was started to about 1979 when he has a fallout with mm. the with the anc i mean he's addressing as you said the Jabulane mm. amphitheater yeah. mm. every year i yeah. mean mm. and there are thousands of people 
not just only people who are Zulu speaking mm. and from mm. Natal, mm. even here, I mean, he has ANC colors. Mm. And, yeah, yeah. And, and the ANC had been out of the country for two decades. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. person people knew was, was him. Was, was, was yeah, him. Yeah, so it's yeah. quite possible yeah. that actually, had his power not been checked, yeah, yeah. he could have been even a bigger figure yeah, than he became. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Mary, I'd like for you to come in here if you're still with us. This, 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 uh, the, the the use of violence in our politics. What what is your take? I was asking uh, Dr. Murunga now that without the use of violence, would uh, Butelezi have been able to achieve the political mileage that that he achieved, especially during just before and during the the constitutional negotiations? No, the violence was definitely used to weaken the ANC and to try and win some demands. I mean, one of the pieces I wrote at the time was called Negotiations by Massacre, because that was the way it played out. Um, I think there's a very important point, I'm not sure if it's come out, that I need to bring up because I don't see it covered and it's very important. You know, Budalese was brought up by his mother, Princess Magogo, who was um, a very talented woman, and she brought him up to believe that he controlled the destiny of the Zulu nation. Right, that was his mission in life. Now, the mission, you know, so it gelled in that sense with the apartheid homeland policy. Although, as I said to you, these bits of reserve land from the 19th century, a lot of them weren't even part of the 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 the, the historic Zulu Kingdom. So, but in 1970, when the system was being set up, Butlesi was elected chairman, and the man who was elected the chief executive officer of the uh, of the new KwaZulu. Uh, uh, entity, it was then called the, the whatever it was called, the became KwaZulu, was Prince Clement Zulu. Prince Clement Zulu was a son of King Solomon. He was a paternal uncle of uh, King Zuelatini, the young Zuelatini. And there was tremendous animosity between Butlesi and the paternal king. You must remember that Butlesi wasn't part of the lineage, the patrilineage. Right. Now, in the first few years, in the 70s, uh, there was a campaign to get rid of Clement, the other princes, so that Bodilesi could run the show himself. And that's what happened. And the king was a bit resistant. And eventually the king himself was chased out of the legislature because he was so humiliated in 1979 because Bodilesi saw it as his mission to be the prime minister and to control the king and to control everything that was going on. Now, okay, so... But then what happened was the king was nowhere around in the 80s. He was hidden away and didn't appear in public. Um, but what Butelezi used the KwaZulu for was to really instill a Zulu ethnic identity. There was even a curriculum in school which said, you're a Zulu, you're a Zulu, you're a Zulu. In other words, it fitted the apartheid policy. You probably found that there were apartheid academics somewhere writing talk. But so, but that that led to a lot of violence because when the violence spread, when Mandela was released, people were getting killed because they were pondos or clauses. That was it was used for the political purposes to drive the violence. It did an immense amount of damage in terms of fulfilling an apartheid agenda to divide and rule. Now, after 1990, during negotiations, Butlesi was surrounded by right-wingers. He brought two from overseas, Blaustein and, and 
and Ambrosini. They both they they had. No, I remember Maria yeah, Ambrosini. Yeah. So and of course he also used Philip Powell in a potent security company. He didn't do it, but he must have known. Powell procured flux class weapons. Some of them have never been accounted for. As Dallupolo Latuli said to me, the commissar of the Cubrivi trainees is enough to start a civil war. He procured, Philip Paul, an IFP man, procured these weapons to teach self-protection, the Encarta people, to resist if the concessions weren't made. Now, I can tell you why Butlesi came in at the last minute. He'd won a few concessions about more powers for the king, but he'd won also the Ingonyama, the trust, which was the old Bantu stand, basically. Ingonyama Trust. That was why he came into the elections. There's research being done on that. But what happened after the elections was the king himself, Zuelitini Goodwill late, tried to distance himself from any party politics, and then his life was under risk. Encarta members were threatening. Prince Clement was in great danger. And that, that lasted for a few years after 94, and then gradually the rift with Butelezi and the king was smoothed over. But it was a very, very nasty, the stuff on my website about it, I've published extensively on all this. All the violence is in that in the Road to Democracy series, a complete overview. There's a lot of stuff in the TRC. I mean, I must just tell you one little thing, which is in a sense a bit of black humour. I don't know, you may remember there were hit spots in the KwaZulu Police. Don't forget that. I mean, the KwaZulu Police ran their own hit spots that killed people, including police in Wayansi. Uh, and I have a copy of a letter written by Romeo Mbambo after he was arrested. Uh, they were subsequently acquitted, these three, Mbambo and his two cohorts. I mean, not acquitted, they were given um, amnesty. And there's a handwritten letter from Romeo Mbambo written to Butlesi. And it's a pleading letter. I did this for you. I did it for the Zulu Kingdom. <laughs> so you see, you see how emphasized it all was. And it was very damaging. And unfortunately, Huma carried this on. <laughs> I, I, I was going to ask you, Mary, that, that your, your view would be that Butelezu would have been actively promoting the violence? Well, maybe not in work. Maybe he didn't go and give orders to people, but his the rhetoric, if you could see what he was saying in the 80s, they're coming to destroy us, these causes. They're going to destroy our kingdom. He was going out. I've, got the, I've still got the, the flyers that were going out. I mean, and listen to all proud Zulus, you know, you it's these causes. And, of course, when Mandela was uh, actually released, it, they, just, they just went for they went for condos in this province. And, of course, they did this on the reef. They were sent up there from this province. They were told, busloads of people, these pauses, pauses up, they're taking your jobs, you better go and kill them. Just like that, the hostels in Kharteng, of course, were their base. But behind all this with the sinister military, security police, boss, and of course, uh, you know, they trained all these people. They were there in Encarta. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think, may, I, 
as Dr. Ngurunga was saying, it, 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 it's a very complex uh, story, in term, you know, that, 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 that a lot of people have just simplified, you know, in the last week, you know. Um, but but I, I want to come back to you, uh, mm. uh, Dr. Ngunonga, before we, we, we wrap up. Mm. Now, the man has passed away. Yeah. Uh, the ANC is behaving in ways that other people might, might not understand, you know, to say, mm. look, the, the, the fight that caused, that spilled so much blood was between the ANC and Inkata. Okay, however you configure the Inkata side, you know, whether it was Inkata and the police, Inkata and military, or, or, you know, whatever. But there were two sides to the fight, fundamentally. Uh, But now, after the man dies, the ANC, in fact, even before he dies, you know, he's been made deputy president multiple times. Yeah. Uh, he's been in cabinet. Yeah. He's gone to parliament. Nobody has attacked him or criticized him for what happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and now, after he passes away, uh, he gets a special uh, funeral category, funeral category one. one from yeah. the president of the yeah. ANC. What, where Where do you see this relationship going? Because it looks like it was a cooperation, collaboration, even almost alliance yeah. at some point between uh, Inkata stroke Butelezi and the ANC, yeah. Yeah. and then it sours, and then it degenerates into whole-scale violence, yeah. and then it looks like there's a two-nuddering again, like yeah. coming together. Yeah. Where, where do you see this relationship going after his passing? I think the... I, mean, I think the, the main thing that we need to think about is that it was not senseless violence, ugly as it was in the 1980s. Mm. I mean, it was a fight for political dominance. Mm. And, I, and I think, um, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, Mary has mentioned Walter Felgate, I mean, who started working with Butelezi, I think, around 1976. Uh, Walter Felgate said something quite interesting, that actually Butelezi believed until the elections in 1994, Mm. that Inkata was going to win the elections mm. until the last moment. I mean, I think part of the major explanations for the violence is that it was really a violence over political domination, over which of these two political parties mm. with their own ambitious leaders yeah. was going to become a leader. And I think what has happened since 1994 I think it is clearer, in a sense, in the political sense, who won the fight. Mm. I mean, the ANC has been a dominant political party for a long time. And Inkata is really a very small political party mm. with declining political support nationally, not in Guazulu Natal. Mm-hmm. It might still come to back to power in Guazulu Natal. And I think that has cooled the political tempers. And I think what they got to see when they worked together in the government of national unity, remember that when the government of national unity expired in Qatar State yeah. for another five years. Mm-hmm. I mean, so Telezi was the minister of former affairs for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And he acted as president for more than 20 times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what they got to know was that actually, even though we had been fighting, we're on the same side. So, I mean, this discussion about political reconciliation and Butelezi saying, I did not leave the ANC, I mean, Mm. I'll die Mm. a member of the ANC. It is an indication, I think what you will see is one of two things. I think we will see more and more cooperation between the ANC 
and the IFP friendly. And mm-hmm. I mean, the big question now is whether the IFP can survive Butelezi's death. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be very, very difficult. I mean, mm-hmm. there are already signs of fights and internal fights. Um, but I also think his appreciation, by the way, by the president and the leadership of the ANC, I mean, for the role that Butelezi has played, especially after. I mean, when people were going for President Ramaphosa, you recall that it was Butelezi who said mm. he must be re-elected president not mm. too long, not too long ago. During the unrest, July unrest, uh, it was Butelezi who came out, I mean, and said, stop it. I think there's just been a greater appreciation from those from the elite inside the ANC that actually this man could become our ally than an enemy. Mm. He leads anyway so, a so, political so party them, that yeah. doesn't threaten the hegemony of mm. the NC at a national level. Yeah. So yeah. so you see more of a cooperative uh, I see I see more of a cooperative the two parties um, going it's forward. either that or the NC may just decide to stay out, especially if there is fight inside the IFP, if the if the IFP implodes mm. after this, I mean they just be there could be no reason for the ANC to get involved. But what I see, instead of the conflict of the past that we have seen, mm-hmm. I think we'll see the continuation of what we have had. Uh, what is going to determine that is what happens in the elections next year. Yeah. If the IFP does well and comes up into a coalition with the DA or or the EFF, as Glossy yeah. was saying, then there might be tensions. But I see more... I mean, we have seen the ANC saying to its leaders, don't criticize him. I think they are trying to court the IFP and to to cultivate a closer working relationship. I think we are likely to see more of that than conflict. Okay, we'll watch this space. (laughs) We seem to have run out of time. Um, And uh, we would like to thank our guests uh, for today's conversation on the Sunday Times Politics Weekly, uh, Meredith Haas, who's an academic researcher and violence monitor of longstanding, as well, of course, as Dr. Mongani Ngulunga, who's an academic author and also the director of the Johannesburg Institute for Advanced Study at the University of Johannesburg. Uh, We thank you both for your time. Much appreciated. I'm Mike Siluma. Until next time, do stay safe, stay blessed, and let's do good for our country.